Hey there, I'm Ashley, and this is New Day with Ashley. If you're looking for inspiration to make a difference and create lasting impact, then you're in the right place. Get ready to be encouraged by the stories of my guests who have taken risks, overcome challenges, and created opportunities. It's time to make the most of your new day. say my guest today is a Fargo-Moorhead recruiter, but more importantly, a proud and passionate resident that deeply cares about his city. Charlie Johnson is the president and CEO of the Fargo-Moorhead Convention and Visitors Bureau. Charlie and his team work to position our distinctive community as a desirable destination and gateway to the region and nation, resulting in a superior quality of life for our residents. You betcha this conversation is one that makes this north of normal community one of the greatest places on earth. Well, welcome to New Day with Ashley, Charlie Johnson. Thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for being here. And um, President, CEO of the Fargo Moorhead Convention and Visitors Bureau. Correct. And also West Fargo. And it's West Fargo. Not, not officially in the title, but we certainly serve West Fargo too. Sure. So. And yeah, and surrounding, I suppose. Yeah, well, almost, right. Yeah. We're, we're funded by the lodging tax from those three cities. So that's our primary responsibility. Do we slop out a little bit? Uh, is slop a good word? But, you know, I mean, <laughs> we we certainly promote we promote the, whole area. the metropolitan area. See, I already did it. I already touched <laughs> the microphone. Uh, we promote the metropolitan area, but there are some attractions that we certainly uh, include uh, in our promotional stuff that are not necessarily right in the metro area. Sure, or the, near the metro area. Yeah. And I have more questions about that because I thought that was interesting about the tax. Um, mm -hmm. But let's let's go back. So yeah. you said you grew up in Fergus Falls. And Fergus Falls through eighth grade. Um, uh, we lived in St. Paul till I was four, I think. So I have very vague memories of that. But then I went all through uh, grade school and junior high. Well, yeah, what you call junior high, I guess, through eighth grade in, in Fergus. And then my dad, who was a pharmacist, uh, bought a drugstore in Hastings, Minnesota, which is uh, used to be a sleepy little river town, you know, outside of St. Paul, but it's kind of a suburb, you know, and really had been by yeah. that time. So that's where I graduated from high school. And then... Came to Concordia College. Yeah, okay. Yeah, almost went to the University of Minnesota, but I decided I needed to get a little farther away from home. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> and I've pretty much been here ever since. Um, my first uh, real job after college was in Grand Forks in radio for a little over a year, but then uh, moved back down here. So is that what you went to school for then, broadcast? Uh, well, um, kind of, but I was a speech and theater major at Concordia because at the time they didn't have communications. So interesting uh, thing there. I mean, I was I was interested in broadcasting from when I was in high school. In fact, I worked in the high school radio station. Oh, okay. or, I mean, in the, in the local radio station when I was in high school. Sure. Uh, we had an English teacher. I think you said you went to... Uh, MSUM. Yes. Uh, we had an English teacher there uh, who I will never forget because he was such a huge influence on my life. Uh, Bill Schultz was his name. Came from uh, MSU at the time, sure. Morehead State, or MSC maybe it was, Morehead <laughs> State College. More, yeah. Anyway, he was an English teacher in Hastings, and he was pretty much right out of school, I think. Uh, and somehow or other, he convinced the uh, administration at Hastings, Minnesota High School to let him offer a journalism class. Oh. to, uh, you know, juniors and seniors. Yeah. So there were about, I remember being one of like 11 or 12 of us, and it was a lot of my friends, because we worked in the high school paper and, you know, and did different things, and a lot of kids from theater were interested in that kind of stuff too, because I was in theater in high school. And at the same time, I was working, I had started working part-time at the radio station doing baseball games, 
uh, for the high school baseball games, and then also disc jockeying on Sundays. Uh, so that's really how I got the bug for it. And he was really quite a good teacher. I mean, he, my, I, I learned, we learned a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, about the basics of journalism. And, and uh, you know, one of the, I remember one day, probably, I think it was a whole year class, not just a semester, but anyway, in the spring, he was saying, so after all we've talked about here, what, you know, uh, if you were going to be, if you could go out and be a journalist right now, as poof, you're 25 years old and you can get a job and you can go wherever you want to go, where would be the hottest news place you'd want to go? And everybody, we're all looking at each other and we don't want to say this, but we all wanted, well, you should probably go to Vietnam because that's when the war was oh. at its height. And and so no one, I don't know that anyone would have taught us to think like that at that point in high sure. school. Before that. So anyway, he was a big influence. Uh, and so... I told I almost went to the University of Minnesota. In fact, I had a first quarter uh, tuition scholarship from the Minnesota High School Press Association, oh. the University of Minnesota, with a letter signed by uh, you, no one remembers this around here, but the, the uh, you know longtime chair of the journalism department at U of M. He was famous in journalism circles, Mitch Charnley. I get this letter, and you'll get this you know first quarter tuition scholarship to study journalism. And I, and of course, at the time, uh, I'm pretty old, actually. So uh, this is going to give it away, I guess. But at You're the time, me. Uh, uh, one it was just one quarter, right? So then there were three quarters quarter okay. system. Then uh, a, a quarter tuition at the University of Minnesota was a hundred and twenty-five dollars. And I showed oh. that to my dad. I said, "Hey, look, I got a scholarship." Blah blah blah. He says, "You know," and I was still thinking about Concordia. I'd applied at both places, and he says, hundred and twenty-five dollars." is not enough money to base your decision on. I said, yeah, I guess you're probably right. So even in even in 1968, that wasn't enough money to really wow. make it. But anyway, I still thought about going, but then um, my whole, I had a bunch of friends, you know, who had graduated the year before and went to schools up in the Twin Cities. And of course, they all had cars. And, and it was great because every weekend they'd come back down and hang out with mm. us, right? And, but by about Christmas time, I remember having this very weird, oddly mature thought for a 17-year-old at the time. These guys are not making new friends. Right. You know, they're not... A college doesn't seem to be that great an experience for them. They're going there and going to their classes, I think. Maybe they weren't. Right. Some of them weren't, I'm quite certain. <laughs> <laughs> but they're back here every weekend hanging out with us. And I said, I don't know if that's the right way to go so that kind of influenced me to in the end uh go to concordia which did not have journalism so i took speech and theater instead okay so Mm. it wasn't even an option to take that no but was that concordia's way or your thought of like well i'm still getting that i guess getting away from home is more important to me okay (laughs) (laughs) and making new friends and i and and i had like theater too and i didn't feel like i was necessarily uh, going to be totally divorced from that opportunity because the you know the summer before between my graduating in in the spring and before I went off to Concordia, actually I got to work full time at the radio station that summer. Okay. Huge money for a kid, right? Seven days a week, fifty dollars a week. Wow. <laughs> so, but I loved it. It was great, you know, and and uh, so I kept and I. I assumed I would get hired back the next spring, and I did briefly. But then I asked the guy who owned the radio station, who we knew because he sold advertising my dad at the drugstore anyway, and he went to our church and blah, blah, blah. Great guy. Uh, but when I came back that next spring, he, I said, you know, I, I kind of would like to have one day off a week. 
you know, so I, I would work six days and maybe $75 a week. And he says, okay, you drive a hard bargain, blah, blah, blah. So like <laughs> three weeks in, he comes to me and says, so I hired another high school kid who'll do it for seven days and 50. <laughs> so he let me go. Wow. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you need so me here. That's yeah. how valued I was. <laughs> no. So the plus, the, but the plus for that was, which also helped me keep my foot in this, and actually it was a huge influence on me too in the end when I think about it, especially from a television standpoint. So the guy, they, it was a small radio station, dawn to dusk, literally in Hastings, Minnesota, and they would he he needed engineers, so he'd just hired uh, engineers from KSTP Television. He had to deal with them in Minneapolis, and they would come down on weekends or for emergencies and and just tune up the transmitter. So I kind of got to know these guys, mm-hmm. and so the the son the like the last weekend I was working after that, the guy named George Merrill came down. And he was one of the chief engineers at KSTP in Minneapolis. And I got to chat with these guys because they were always there on weekends, and that's when I was always there. I was always there on weekends. <laughs> and so the guy said, I hear your uh, things didn't work out for you. And I said, yeah, I guess he just, you know, I was too expensive for him. He says, well, that's crazy. He says, you know, if you want, there's, uh, KSTP is hiring production assistants. They, we would call them now. I called them floor directors then. Um, Go see this guy, Ken Berry. He gave me the guy's name. He said, you can use me as a reference. I'm the chief engineer up there. And I said, okay. So I went, and uh, and I didn't get a job like that day. But he, of course, I got the interview because of him, right? Sure. Right. And then the guy said, I don't have any openings right now. Something comes along, I'll call you. So like three days later, I'm laying in bed at home with no job and no prospects. My folks are down at the drugstore. I'm sleeping till 11 uh, there's no air conditioning in the house. And they're like, what am I going to do for the rest of the summer and make some money? And the phone rings, and it's this Ken Berry guy. He says, hey, I do have an opening for you. And I, and I said, okay, when do you want me there? He says, can you be here by 2 o'clock? Wow. So, so then I worked that <laughs> summer and the next summer at KSTP. Um, and that's in the Twin Cities? In the Twin Cities, okay. yes. Uh, they, it was At the time, it was the NBC affiliate then but it's abc now anyway so now you're running cameras well not you know they had and they okay. had an engineering staff that ran cameras okay. uh there they had a union uh so we were actually just the ones who you know stand by we'd count oh, down yeah. things and a variety of different things but the plus was it uh, before there were three of us on every shift and i mostly i worked the night shift and uh, so we did the 6 and 10 p.m. newscasts. And with three of us on the shift, one person, we'd rotate. One person got the studio ready, and then two guys went in the newsroom. It was always guys. There weren't any women, as hmm. I recall, at that time. Sorry. That's the way it <laughs> seemed to be back in those days. But we've, women were starting evolved. to work in the newsroom then, so that was you could see a shift coming. But anyway, we one would go in and, and separate the script pages, tear them apart because it was menial duty, you know, and then the other one would gather the visuals. So, you know, how you have a character generator that puts your name, you know, all this oh, fancy right. graphics. Now, well, in those days, <laughs> we had what we called uh, supercars for superimposed names. So when you saw the name of someone come on the screen, you know, um, you know. Yeah, Charlie Mark, Johnson. Comes yeah, up. Mark yeah. Dayton, state, you know, you know, uh, governor, whatever he wasn't then, of course, but. Anyway, that was actually white, white printed, hot pressed in a department. <laughs> they had a hot press department at the TV station for not just for news, but for other things too. And, and you know, they'd set the type and blah, blah, blah. So it was a white print on a black card. And then we got all, one of us would gather all these cards and set them up in order on an easel. And one TV camera was dedicated to those. 
So it would be if you had the cards, it was you and a camera guy. And, you and had you're your holding heads. the card? No, they're sitting on an easel, but, oh. but you changed them in between. Sure, okay. Yeah, so that was seems pretty easy, right? One night, <laughs> the only time a director ever really got mad at me, for some reason, I might have been daydreaming. I don't know. We had a, there was a, they, you know, they're telling us what's on. And and for some reason, I thought they were done with the, the card. So I just pulled it. Well, of course, the camera was still on it. Oh. So this the address of this place just kind of flew vertically across the screen. Like, oh my God, I thought that. Ed Kent was the director, you know. I thought Charlie, was, you had one job. Yeah, no, well, I'm kidding. That was basically it. Yeah, I thought he was going to come unglued afterwards, but he forgave me. I guess, so. <laughs> anyway, and then but then we also but then we just hung around the newsroom, and it was fun to hang out with those guys. And and I really kind of got the bug, the news bug there because it was just fun to hear them talk. Yeah. You know how they were in that live environment. Yes, and... Yeah, and there were some and there were there were some guys who were very well known that I got to hang out with there. You know, in in Twin Cities television news, and and a couple of whom I you know you know you you see some you know I want to really be like that guy. He nice guy treats people well. Right. And uh, they're all skilled. This guy's really good on the job, but I don't really want to be like him because he's kind of an ass. Sure. You know? Right. Can I say that on a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you just did. Yeah. No. <laughs> Weird thing was one guy was almost lost. His, one of the the it was two men co-anchoring. I won't go into their names at the time, but the one guy, uh, the kind of arrogant one who treated us like crap. You know, he says, "You know, get away from me, peons." Uh, wow. Yeah. But then, while I was gone away to school, I heard that he had been called on the carpet and they were thinking about letting him go and he had to clean up his act and the ratings primarily being the thing of course and so that spring when I got back he was like the nicest guy in the world you know he'd come down and talk to us and you know know just being nice goes a long way you know I hope it was permanent (laughs) but a lesson that being nice sorry that's a long story that's how I ended up getting you know even though I went to Concordia and was a theater major I still kept kept my foot in in the, the possibility of broadcasting. So that was while you were... That was while I was in college. In college. Two, su- two summers I worked okay. there, yeah. So then what happens after college? You graduate from Concordia. I did. I did graduate, yes. Congratulations, <laughs> yes. Barely. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to a, a, someone who helped me finish an incomplete. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, well... Oh man, I don't know how much detail do you want. I, you know, I actually, mean, the first you job, stayed here. The first job I took was uh, what did take me out of town briefly. It was so when I was at Concordia. Also, I was you know we have we had a thing called student productions, and in those days, uh, Concordia actually had the biggest concert house. In the the mm-hmm. field house was the biggest concert hall in town, really, for any kind of concert that wanted sure. to come to town. And for some odd reason, Concordia allowed students to run this operation. It was, called, it was literally called Student Productions. We had, you know, Maury Lanning uh, oversaw it with us, oh, yeah. but we had a budget. We ran the thing. We booked the shows. And I started doing that when I was a sophomore with some friends. And then by the time I was a senior, they put me in charge of it. So I was booking concerts. But through all these the last three years I was at Concordia, we, we worked with these concert booker promoters. and But also we would have to book... For most of them, we'd have to get sound systems because in those days, the the acts didn't usually tour with their own sound. They would make you hire it and bring it in if you didn't mm-hmm. have it in your house. And so we hired this company out of Kearney, Nebraska to do the sound for us, and we got to know the guy who owned it pretty well because he would come up and do it. And 
my senior year, he uh, offered me a job. He wanted, hey, you want to come in? And he wanted me to sell his sound systems ultimately, not necessarily be a roadie, but my first and ultimately only exposure was (laughs) that I, I went down there. I took the job, but I had been looking for radio jobs around here too or TV jobs, whatever, because I kind of wanted to do that. And uh, my first exposure with him was he uh, driving an eight-ton truck full of sound, one of two eight-ton trucks full of sound equipment from Kearney, Nebraska, to the Greek Theater in Los Angeles for 10 nights of Neil Diamond concerts. Wow. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. In fact, they recorded a big album that was very popular then, too. So, uh, so 10 nights at the Continental Riot House, as they called it, on Sunset Strip, the Hyatt House, and, yeah. and uh, but in the meantime, then I got a call back from one of the radio stations in Grand Forks that I had applied at, and they offered me a job. And so, you know, I was like, I don't know if I seriously, mm-hmm. a couple different factors. If kind of wanted to stay, I mean, it was pretty exciting, you know, being among all those people, right? And uh, that, but also, uh, ten nights. In a hotel bar, I mean, and yeah. around the rock and roll, you know, I was like, I would have been an alcoholic and maybe even a drug addict, sure. probably. I mean, what's going to happen to me? Not saying I wouldn't have had the fortitude to withstand that, but, right, but. you know, you're in that environment. And so, and then also my now wife was back here, and I'm like, uh, if I don't go back, that's probably never going to happen. You know? Sure. So, <laughs> Smart I have, man. I have, to, I have to give her some credit for having influenced me to come back from uh, from that job. So then I took the job doing uh, radio news in Grand Forks at KNOX Radio. Okay. How, how long were you there then? A little over a year. Okay. We got married while I was up there. And so, uh, yeah. But then I, then I got, after about a little over a year, I got a job at KQWB Radio here. They decided they wanted to have a newsroom, news person, newsroom. I was the newsroom. <laughs> um, so that was fun, and then so you you started that whole then that whole yeah station. they didn't really they didn't have any news I mean, okay. they had the AP wire you know but they didn't have any local news and they decided they wanted to compete a little bit that was I could give you a whole hour on what it's like <laughs> what it was like and it's interesting too that's the connections to KFGO where you, you yeah know, where we're housed where we're right at, now right uh, KFGO hired a new news guy right at the same time I started over there. Uh, he was a little older and had more experience, but still a pretty young guy. The guy whose name was Jay Joyner. Ask anyone around. Ask Jurgi, he'll remember him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a real hard-charging radio news guy. And and he and I showed up about the same time as reporters covering local news, uh, particularly like local government, city commission meetings in particular. Mm. Uh, and nobody from nobody really from those two stations had been paying that much attention. So sure. it was like... They didn't really know what to do with us. They only had so many chairs for news people. At the, <laughs> at the, You'll have to stand. You guys it. can bullshit yeah. that chair, huh? Well, what, yeah, no. I was, one time I got there early to a city commission meeting early, and I sat down at the press table. I was talking to the guys from uh, Channel 4, one of whom I would soon replace, you know, like six months <laughs> sure. later. Wow. Um, and I'm sitting with my back to the to the audience and these guys I'm talking to these guys we're having a nice chat and all of a sudden they notice they're looking up they stop talking and they're looking over my head and I said what's going on and I turn around and there's Howard Graber who was a a well-known local radio guy from then WDAY radio <laughs> he's looking for his he's chair looking, he's looking down at me and I look at these guys and they say you're in Howard's chair <laughs> <laughs> that you guys 
see this for me, <laughs> like, huh? Yeah. So I had to go sit in the audience. Oh. Yeah. And then Jay came, and he had to sit in the audience. So then ultimately they set up another table for us. Oh, well, good. Yeah, was, you paved your own way. It was so much fun. I can't, you know, when I look back on it, it was long hours, and but we just had a good time, and you get to know everybody. Yeah. So um, then you spent, what, the next 35 years in that industry? Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? So from... From doing that as a reporter to mm-hmm. then being an anchor. Yeah. Channel 4 hired me to be a reporter and photographer at the time. Very small newsroom. Uh, and then I was weekend anchoring. But then, like, within a year, I was uh, the anchor guy left and went to Milwaukee. Um, mm. And ultimately ended up in Minneapolis for a number of years. Anyway, so then uh, then I started doing the anchoring, 6 and 10. And I was a news then- director for a while over there and... Um, Eventually, yeah. again, got back here again. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like, yeah. So I was at Channel 4 for like 15, about 15 years before then I went over to Channel 11. And, uh, and I was there 20 years, 21 years. Yeah. And I mean, very much a household name, a household mm. face. Mm. <laughs> It has its ups and downs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, around, I was around for a long time, and so, yeah. Yeah, and then, then you went into the management side of things, too. Yeah, um, I got promoted to GM of, the, of Channel 11 in 1990, late 97, I, but I kept working in the newsroom for quite a while after that. For, well, actually, for 10 more years, I was still at least doing the 6 o'clock news. Um, and then we went through, like, five ownership changes in 15 years there. Wow. Um, four of them while I was GM. And uh, it's kind of like, that's like professional whiplash. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mean, that's a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot. And, and everyone, when I was still there, that bought us, only bought the station to increase profits and resell it. Mm. Okay. There's a lot of that going around. There still is, but sale. not as yeah. much, because right. there's been so much consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, you know, we hung in there. The staff and, and I, I felt were pretty good survivors. And we got the last group that bought us while I was there. And I don't know, it partly was certainly at least partly my fault. Um, they didn't like me, and I didn't like them very mm. much. You know, you can only adjust your... Who you are. <laughs> yeah, and how you operate so many times in such a short span and see... You just kind of become a little cynical. Sure. Okay. So, um, is that so what yeah, I was, it said then, yeah. So then it was the, yeah, they didn't really want me to stay and I was kind of relieved. Okay. So you kind of parted ways then. Yeah. Kind of. For kinda. real. We really did. <laughs> it really wasn't just did. kind of, actually. It was like, nope. So, <laughs> but at that, at that point then too, you know, it's, it's an industry you've loved. And I was, yeah. And I was not a young man even at that point. And this is like, you know, that's like 12 years ago. 12 so. years ago. So yeah, 12 yeah. years ago, mm-hmm. you're, you're like, well, I still want to do something. I want to be involved. Yeah. So I enjoy, it was, you know, have one thing I learned was, uh, you know, I got a little severance package, right? So I had the summer off and I, I learned right then that, you know, I could see why teachers like that gig. Sure. Um, having the summer off was 
kind of the bomb. And there was some family stuff going on at the time. And uh, my wife's mother was uh, ill and, and died that summer. So there was, in some ways it was okay. I mean, I think the fact that I wasn't working added stress to her. But on the other hand, I think it was okay that I was around more right. at the time. Um, I hope she thought that anyway. <laughs> I don't know if she'll ever listen to this. We'll find out. <laughs> um, it could be a subject of a debate. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe she'd rather admit it work. Um, so, you know, that was fine, and I and it was great. So, and I, and I had a few months, but but I knew I wasn't. I was neither emotionally nor financially prepared to retire at that point. So, uh, I was started looking, and uh, what I discovered was that uh, even though I had managed those stations. First, Channel 11 by itself, and then I was manager when we took over Channel 4 and, in, and you know, helped integrate those two sure. things together, which was a huge yeah, yeah. challenge. You can't imagine what's that what's I, I couldn't ima have imagined what it was like to bring two competing cultures together and make them be a team. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it was and live like, to tell the si other, source, other side of it, you know. Yeah, Just exactly. And it was interesting, you know, because at the time, by that time, Channel 11 had surpassed Channel 4 in the ratings. And so we brought Channel 4 in, and I thought they'd be a little bit, you know, uh, prickly about it. But they were, you know, most of the people working over there were ready because the things had kind of gone downhill, sure. and the company that had bought them wasn't really running it very well. or, or met, was They knew they were going to sell them. Oh, is what right, it was. yeah. Uh, so I think they felt like it, this was probably going to be okay. It was a weird arrangement to work with the other people. But the ones who were most, um, had the hardest time adjusting to it were the, my coworkers at Channel 11. Uh, I distinctly remember, and I hope Robin forgives me for telling you the story, but <laughs> we're in the newsroom like the day after the merger actually had been approved. So we set up a microwave link so we could share video. And we were still in separate buildings and hadn't decided how that was going to work yet, but we were going to share a video since, because we're one staff now, right? right? And she, I come back to the newsroom, and she's sending them video, and she's kind of grumpy about it, and I said, what's going on? She said, I don't get it. One day we're kicking their ass, and the next day I'm sending them video. Sure. I'm like, <laughs> okay, now I think I'm beginning to understand mm -hmm. the, the dynamic at play here. So it's not necessarily easy to marry those cultures together. And we made a lot of mistakes. It took us like four tries to get it right four tries and at least two ownerships but um anyway so that's yeah so then we managed all of those stations so what i found out when i left was that even though i had years of experience 12 years of experience on the management side in addition to news everywhere i applied for a job that kind of had a management because that's what i'm thinking I yeah could, you know i could step into I that think role I'm a, I'm a manager yeah. now right yeah i thought i was that's what i've been doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're like it's like, no, you know, you're no, really? you're, the, you're the TV guy, you know? It's like you, yeah, we don't really need news people here. Interesting. Not everybody loves news people either, by the way, actually. Sure, yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's another thing you discover. Um, so I was, yeah, it it dawned on me when I applied, I applied for like a general manager job. There was a, a well-known local law firm that was looking for someone just to manage the staff. Sure not a lawyer, just someone with management experience to manage this time. Okay. I applied for it. I've got, you know, all these years. I managed, I did this for 12 years. We had a multi-million dollar budget. Uh, we had anywhere from 60 to 100 employees and blah, 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 blah. And I had a bunch of departments under me and uh, I bet I can do, I can do that, yeah. you know. 
And I get like I get in the first wave of rejection letters. And I'm like, oh. and that was when it dawned on me that, and I knew some of these people, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I understand there are all sorts of dynamics sure. at play, but it was at that moment that it dawned on me that nobody thinks of me as a as as what I did the last twelve years. As the manager, they, they still yeah. only think of me as the news guy sure. who has, doesn't really have any of that kind of experience. So that was kind of a rude way challenge. So anyway, I needed a job, and then. Uh, I saw that um, uh, WDAY was sorry to keep. I got to name all these. Yeah, yeah. Ones, right? so, <laughs> you're leaving KFGO anyway, right? So it's okay. <laughs> Moving, not, not, you know, no, anyway, yeah, amicably, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, they, I saw that uh, they were looking for an anchor person at their satellite station in Grand Forks. And I'm like, well, I really need a job, so I'm kind of at the point where I might want to have to go back and do that you know not that i not that i didn't necessarily want to do something like that but i kind of felt like i'd moved should have moved on from that and, and so i contacted them and and uh cassie walder their young anchor and news director at the time she'd been news director there for several years but so she was probably the same age as one of my kids you know she was sure. probably early 30s and she uh she and the manager up there worked it out and they hired me so then i uh commuted to Grand Forks, I did it. They worked it out so I could do it four nights a week, Monday okay. through Thursday. Sure. And uh, yeah, so that kept me going until the CVB job opened up. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll apply for that. Okay. Honestly, I thought that's where my life and career would end. Would I mean my career would end in, right. in Grand in doing that in Grand doing Forks. And, but then this um, new opportunity came then. Yeah. The Convention Visitors Bureau. Yeah. yeah. So. So tell us about that. Yeah, because that's I think really interesting. You know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, well, again, was this a big I, risk now of like, okay, I'm stepping everything's into... Everything's a risk. <laughs> yes. Everything in life is, yes. Yeah, that was a... Well, it was a risk for me and it was a risk for them, I guess. Uh, <laughs> probably a bigger risk for them. It was interesting because I had applied for another a similar job in in fargo Morehead a couple times, actually, um, at the Economic Development Corporation. They were looking to hire someone. A long-time guy had left... And I applied for that, and and they were using a headhunting firm from somewhere hmm. outside, and you know I didn't even get a, I didn't get a sniff, and I hmm. wasn't totally surprised at that. I didn't have any economic development experience; I just knew the community. Right, so but they you didn't. Know the community, I didn't yeah. even get an interview, right? And then and then uh, before the CVG, CVB job opened, whoever they hired barely made it a year and left. Uh, wanted to move back to the Twin Cities or something. Anyway, so I applied again. It was the same company. Sure. And and again, I got the letter back. And this time, I actually, I called the guy. I said, you know, what? <laughs> I mean, you don't even want to talk to me? He says, well, he says, I mean, I guess it was an email exchange at that time. He, he says, you know, you just don't fit the profile. And there's this, hmm. there are so many people applying for this job. I said, okay. So I applied for the CVB job when it opened up, when I heard my old friend Cole Carley was retiring. Uh, even though he's a couple of years older than I am. Um, and I pretty much expected the same thing, you know, because they used a headhunting firm. And, and, but at least this time the guy, the guy called me and he says, um, uh, you know, you don't really fit the profile, but I see that you've been around the community a long time. Mm-hmm. And I sort of felt like I should have just give you a call and just talk to you a little bit. And I said, okay. So we set up a time to call. And, and then, so he's asking me a lot of questions uh, uh, about, uh, management experience oh, okay. came up 
And he's like, like I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Well, he's like, he says, so you, I see on your resume that you manage the TV station. He says, well, what kind of, what kind of budget was that? And I said, well, I don't think I'm supposed to tell you, you know, I said, but at the time it was like expenses were seven figures and the revenue was eight figures. Right. And it's like, he says, oh, well, how many employees did you have? And I said, well, it depended on who owned us, you know, because it varied. varied. It was a yeah. lot of a lot of that, <laughs> mostly shrinking by that time. Uh, I said, so anywhere from like 60 to 100, you know, generally probably 65 to 70. He said, oh. And he says, well, at the CVB, you know, the budget is like $3 million and or $2.5 million, and they have 11 employees. I'm like, Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. And so then, so we talk some more, and he says, okay, he says, well, this has been interesting. He says, I've got a bunch of other people to call. Again, I said, he said, don't get your hopes up because you don't really fit the profile. Blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, fine. But at least he talked to me, Boy, so I yeah. think that's nice. Yeah. Uh, but then he called me back like a week later, and, he, and the first thing out of his mouth again is, you know, you don't fit the profile, <laughs> but I feel like I should talk to you again. <laughs> so then we, had a, then we had another call, and then I had a a Skype call with him, and by that time, I sort of felt like he was starting to coach me a little bit about mm. the industry. Okay. Um, and about it, you know, and because it's all marketing, right? Yep. Uh, what we we're a destination marketing organization, so I'd worked in television broadcasting my whole life. You can't say that's not marketing. I mean, of course, I was exposed to marketing. I wasn't a salesperson, although when I was in management for those twelve years. I went on a lot of sales calls because that's just, you know, what you do. So mm -hmm. I got exposed to it. Um, my best friends in the station were, were the, uh, one of them was, there's a husband and wife team. She was the promotion director of marketing. You know, we worked together on news promotion for years and years and years and years. Sure. So you get exposed yeah. to how people think that way. And so it wasn't like I was totally, I hadn't studied marketing, but I'd sure been around it. Right. And uh, so that's kind of where the conversation went. And, and um, you know, you just, and I said, I'm not, I don't claim to have, I don't have a marketing education, but I have a lot of marketing related experience. And, and the other thing is I know the town, everyone, I know almost everyone in town, you know, virtually. Right. And, yeah. and most people know who I am. So right. I, said, well. I think that's where I could be an asset. And I've lived in this town my whole adult life. And uh, I don't know who else is applying for the job that, can tell you that right you know and so it's like uh, so ultimately i think i was the second or th at least the second choice maybe the third choice but it all worked out <laughs> but i think well, the, the recruiter the, yeah. guy i think he ended up i think he really he ended up coaching me because i think he saw i appreciated him because he saw the value of someone who hadn't had the same kind of experience but remember that the guy i was replacing also came from broadcasting cole carley so i sure. think everyone was kind of cognizant that there could be still a connection there okay and he'd done a good job so why maybe we could do that again yeah, yeah. well and also I, I think just the value of being from here uh -huh. or you know essentially yeah. mm -hmm. um, you can't make that up you can't teach that no. to someone i have literally forgotten more than most people know about fargo markets <laughs> seriously i have forgotten most of it yeah <laughs> But, you know, I mean, yeah. there's there's just so much mm -hmm. about the community that you can't teach an outsider mm -hmm. about, you know, having that experience. Yeah, so. you can't. Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, you clearly love it. You know, Well, you, you said you've lived here your whole yeah, life. Yeah, my whole mostly, life, right? yeah. So there's a lot that you know about this place that, that someone who may, you know, maybe you're competing for a job and, and in a field like this and someone comes from outside maybe has more experience and more education in it, but... Mm -hmm. uh, um, 
doesn't have that experience. They don't, of, they don't have the institutional knowledge that comes right. with not really institutional, well, community knowledge. That, community knowledge, so yeah, that social knowledge, yeah. It it worked out. I'm, yeah. And and I was lucky. I and was so lucky what you said to get a such a, to have a, a a career change so late in life, a so late in my life when most people are thinking about retiring. Uh, so I don't. What did your I wife have, think of that? She was glad I went back to work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Finally. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I think she's, she's, she knows that I love it. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's quite different from what I did before. I get to travel in this job. You don't really travel much when you work on a television station, you know. Right. But now I've traveled a lot. And sometimes she travels with me. And we, uh, you know, it's, I shouldn't say this, but the the one I remember the moment when I felt like I really had a chance for the job was like in the third call when this guy, the the search firm, said to me, he says, you know, it's not rocket science. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Thank God, or I wouldn't be applying. Right. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. But I appreciated him acknowledging that, you know, you don't necessarily have to have years and years of experience in this field to necessarily be able to adapt to this field. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so, what has it been now? 12, 13 years? You said. I uh, it's it's I'm coming on my eleventh year in June. I'll be okay. oh. my eleventh anniversary. Okay. Yeah. Eleven years. I figure I got like two years to go. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. As long as I stay healthy. You know? Yeah. And um, I think you mentioned it is a nonprofit. So yeah, I'll... we're a we're a tax supported five hundred one c six. Okay. Not a C3, right. uh, although we have a subsidiary called the Fargo Warren Athletic Commission, which is basically our sports department that's a 501C3, but we it really, really just operate that as part of our budget. Um, yeah, we can't take donations, generally speaking. Right. But you get it based off that um, lodging. We are funded lodging. almost entirely by the 3% lodging tax in Fargo, Moorhead, and West Fargo. Hopefully. And I know you guys had a meeting yesterday. We had our annual meeting, yeah, which we do every year and go over. Uh, we went over 2022 stats. 2022 was a great year. Yeah. Uh, you know, 2020 was horrible for everyone. It was particularly horrible for the hospitality industry. Right. Uh, and I, I, I have told people since the pandemic hit, you know, that um, I think it was kind of an aha moment for a lot of people around the state or, or even locally uh, who recognized, who maybe didn't think about what a big part of the local economy travel and tourism mm -hmm. is and hospitality in general. And it's a, it's a broad category. I'm not just talking about leisure tourists, business travel. Anything that brings people to town, right. you know, and we're all, we're involved in all of that. We don't, you know, we don't seek business travel, except we promote, you know, except Businesses. that we promote the city yeah. that way. Mm -hmm. um, but but conferences and meetings are a form of business travel, so I guess we do to that extent. Uh, but uh, all of those things are a gigantic piece of the puzzle, and I don't think everyone really understood that till we got to the pandemic, and I started we started having these uh, weekly um, Zoom or Teams meetings. Um, which I had never heard of before. That <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know they were there, but nobody really you know, I'd, utilized them. Yeah. I didn't need it. Uh, and and I started telling people how badly this had hit the hotel economy in particular, but also by extension, uh, any retail food and beverage blah oh, yeah. blah. And everybody could see how it shut everything down. Um, so I think it kind of opened people's eyes a little bit to how big a part of the economy it is. So. Last year, hotel room business in Fargo, Moorhead, West Fargo, just in our three cities, only for hotel rooms, actually, mm -hmm. not food and beverage, anything else, $131 million. 
Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that's, I'm sure there are bigger parts of the economy, but that is not I, jump change. Right, no. Um, wow. So, uh, and so in 2020, it's, that yeah. fell to like 60 million. Still yeah. seems like a big number, right? But that was down, and and prior to last year, the highest we'd ever been was 105 million. So oh, okay. that was 25% higher than our, our most, our highest previous record. But then conversely, in in uh, in 2020, the hospitality industry basically suffered to the tune of like 40, anywhere from 37 to 42%, depending on which sector you're looking at. So layoffs yeah, through the roof, mm-hmm. you know. The first week of the pandemic, uh, our staff didn't have a lot to do, you know. When I, and so we, I said, hey, let's uh, survey our hotels and find out about layoffs. And so we had, at the time, we had like 63 or 65 hotels. We got a hold of 45 of them talked to us about it. And in the first week, first 10 days of the shutdown, a thousand, more than a thousand full-time positions had been eliminated, plus... Wow, uh, part time. A couple hundred more part time, yeah. you know, and that's yeah, that's devastating. That's huge, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess what we can notice from the numbers that are growing is one that um, people are back to doing business and yeah. they like to travel and better maybe mm-hmm. than before. Yes, um, so, you know, you I can't talk about you know a twenty five percent percent increase in the hotel revenue without obviously inflation had a little something to do with that. Yeah, but at the same time, I also see the the room demand numbers, the number of rooms that mm. were in demand. Sure. And that was up about 10%, uh, 10 to 12%. I forget, I don't have that figure right in my head, but it was double digits. So, okay. So it wasn't just inflation. Right. It was people coming back and wanting to fill the hotels. And and uh, that's, that's great for us. We hope we can keep it on. I Just before I came over here, I got this week's occupancy report. And... Uh, so February, even the month of February, revenue was, uh, you know, not growing like it did last year, but we were, the revenue for February was still like 3.5% higher than it was last February. And oh, January had yeah. been higher, 6 to 7% higher. So we're continuing to grow on the revenue side. Right. So. In Fargo, in winter, growing, that's great. You know? It's amazing. <laughs> it is. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. And I mean, so, you know, something that we are doing right in our community, mm-hmm. I guess, um, and I guess you guys have kind of coined the term north of normal. Right. That, yeah, we rebranded to that okay, in yeah. 2015, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. And we like it, so we're going to keep it for yeah. a while. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we're doing things north mm-hmm. of normal. Right. Um, a little bit different. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love all the, the fun and quirky things on the website because, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, mm-hmm. there's lots of things that come to mind when you tell someone you're from Fargo. Yes. Um, but yet we have become, I don't know, we've made such a – a new um, new path, I guess, of of Fargo. When you say it now, they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, it's not." Yeah. I heard the movie. You know, seen the movie. Yeah. Now yeah. it's new things. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Well, in the movie, you can't discount the movie. Oh no, you know? that, and, that and that we still have the wood great. chipper in our office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, uh, as long as I've been in this job, some of my you know peers and uh, around the city, we like, can't we just get rid of that wood chipper? You know, that's such a bad image. <laughs> no. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, okay. So if you want to ignore the movie, I said, what if there'd never been the movie? I mean, would we the, be on the map? All yeah. these men and women travel, you know, and like, you know, I'm not saying nobody knew Fargo before that, but I said, so if you go somewhere and they say, where are you from? And you say you're from Fargo, what's the first thing that comes up? Like seven yeah. times out of 10. Right. You know, we're lucky because the movie wasn't even in Fargo. 
Well, it was yeah. One scene was supposed right. to be yeah. take the opening scene took place in Fargo. It was shot in I think in Coon Rapids or someplace. And then the second Mons thing View. that pe- people say will be, oh yeah, now I hear it. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the other thing. When the movie came out, I don't know. You know. Yeah. I guess my grandmother sounds like, like that. Yeah. But, they're like, yeah. but there were a lot of people like we don't talk like that. Oh. I, I said, well, maybe you don't, but you know someone who does. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, it was an exaggeration, but it's right. not. It's not too hard it's to slip not, into that, no. you know. It's uh, we just the way we are. Yeah, it's yeah. not too far off. I'm in know? town too, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I definitely do sound like that at times. We all so, do. Yeah. yeah, it's okay, and Absolutely. I embrace it, you know. So yeah, so they, so you know, then, and if they mention the movie, then it's up to you where you steer the conversation after that. You right. Know? Yeah, we're we're more than that movie, or you know, um, before they came up with North of Normal, I wanted our our uh, slogan to be. Find the real Fargo, but you know I'm not the marketing guru that they paid to do this. Sure, so. yeah. <laughs> but North of Normal turned out great. I'm happy. Yeah. But that's kind of what I tell people: you need to come here and find the real Fargo. It's not, it's not what you what you might think. think. Yeah. Right. And when we go around the country selling the business at trade shows, for especially for meetings or, uh, you know, sports events, to some degree, I think our team does that too. But they kind of sell themselves on facilities. But uh, when we're trying to sell conferences and conventions. We're like, you know, we guarantee, we absolutely 100% guarantee that if you bring people here for a meeting, they will have fun. We'll make sure sure. they have fun. You'll have a great meeting, but we'll also make sure that you have a good time while you're here and and they will want to come back. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I don't think we've ever failed in any significant way at that. Yeah. What would be like your favorite part about Fargo-Moorhead, West Fargo? (sighs) Hmm. My favorite, that's a different question than I usually get. Yeah. Um, my, well, I like the whole community, and I like the fact that we had, that the town has grown enough. Remember, I've been here a long, long mm-hmm. time, and I've seen the town, you know, alter, oh, alter oh, significantly yeah. from what it used to be. And, and, that's, and change is hard. I remember know, not something. wanting to go downtown, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... <laughs> I never, yeah, okay, but yes, people. Yeah, that, you I mean, a little a, bit of a that child. now. Yeah, the, yeah, you know, yeah. everyone's like, "Oh, it's dangerous." Um, it's not really. No. I mean, no, you know, That's certainly safer city. than most yeah. towns you're going to go oh, into. Oh, for sure. Uh, and actually, downtown is one of my favorite places. Mm-hmm. But the thing I was going to say is, yes, I like to go downtown. I'm not afraid to go downtown. Yeah. My no. wife and I go down. A guy and I go down there. At, at least once a week, sometimes right. twice. But that doesn't mean we don't also go elsewhere. Right. And yeah. the thing is. You know, like in our community now, the town has grown to the point and diversified to the point where uh, there are actually neighborhoods. And if you if you live in this metropolitan area and you say, I don't like to go downtown, it's too hard to park and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's okay because lots of people do and there are lots of other places you can oh, go. Yeah. It's like, we understand that. You can go you don't, yeah, you don't, you're not shut out if you don't want to go downtown. You're not shout out, shut right. out of like eating and drinking. It's the only places to go, right? Right. All sorts of other places. West Fargo, Moorhead. Yeah. Um, and constantly reinventing themselves. I think that's the best thing that's happened in the last 25 years is how the all of our cities, starting with Fargo, and I think with the downtown renaissance had a lot to do with mm-hmm. it, have 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 reinvented themselves and, and dealt with the fact that this is becoming a, a mid-sized city instead of a small town. Right. You know? Yeah. How about a fun fact? About Fargo, Moorhead, West Fargo, that people might not know. Wow, uh, you're the first person that's ever asked me that question. 
I I must have like 50 of them that I could pull out, but I'm blanking on this at the moment. Just give me give me a second. Um, well, I'll come up with an. Interesting well, I think I think you know I think <laughs> I, I think the his the fun facts fun facts are the rough and rowdy uh, beginnings of this community that I think think people don't really think about sure. unless you go like to the Yumcomb Center or someplace or or go here. My friend Marcus Krieger from the Yumcomb Center when he mm. does History on Tap on the first Monday. I'm giving oh, an ad here. First yeah. Monday of, <laughs> uh, of every month during the school year pretty much at Junkyard Brewing, uh, Marcus is over there giving uh, what he calls History on Tap. And it's mm. all about, you know, a lot of it relates to to brewing and alcohol and right. stuff because that's where he is. But he, but he gives you a really good fun synopsis of the history that was was uh, rough and rowdy Fargo-Moorhead when they first came to be, when there was actually, you know, barge traffic on the river, and that one side of the river was dry, uh, the Fargo side was dry, and the Moorhead side was wet, so all people came over to the Moorhead side to get drunk, and then yeah. they go back and end up in jail in Fargo. <laughs> and uh, so I think that's one of the most, f- the historical f- fact of that and how the town's came to be is yeah. fascinating. I think it's important that people learn some of these things yeah. too. Yeah. To just We're get a little up background on, our, on it. The hundred and fiftieth anniversary of 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 us in two yeah. years. Yeah, because I I was here for the <laughs> centennial. I was okay. working at Channel Four <laughs> and they had a big the big weekend, big celebration of the weekend, the Fargo Red Centennial and and uh, um, and it was interrupted by a tornado. Outside by Glendon, and then uh, and then torrential rain. It was a it was interesting week, but I yeah. digress. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but that's fifty years ago almost. Um, so what? Um, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and they've commented on like what a great community <laughs> though this is. It to is start yes. a business, mm-hmm. and the support of the community. So, and I know you guys are in the business of recruiting people to absolutely absolutely do business here move here mm-hmm. whatever that might be um do you have have you seen like quite a big rise in people yeah moving here and um well i th- yes we need more obviously mm-hmm. unemployment's like always under three percent sometimes it's close to two percent um yeah, there is a tremendous entrepreneurial spirit here, or mm-hmm. as uh, my friend Greg Tavine calls it, the entrepre- entrepreneurial ecosystem. I like to uh, joke with people and say that, you know, that guy's an entrepreneur with a capital A. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I know how it's spelled. Uh, it's a joke. It's a yeah. joke. So, but yeah, in fact, that that's uh, that's a really interesting question. And I think I, I appreciate the fact that our CVB board has come along with the idea that that um, our job isn't just straight up tourists, right? Right. We can we can influence things that elsewise bring people to town. Is mm. elsewise really a word? I don't know. Anyway, you know what I meant. Though. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll add it. So yeah. so in <laughs> fact, I, um, the first year I was in this job, I remember. Uh, Greg Tavine, who runs Emerging Prairie. Who so Greg went, and I went to school together okay. in West Fargo before I moved to Moorhead. But okay, yeah. cool, yeah. yeah. So anyway, he and Joe Burgum yep. came to see me. And this is this would be like in probably the fall of 2012, Okay, my first year. And they're like, hey, we got this idea. You know, we got these things we want to do, and we really want to do things uh, trying to encourage young people to stay in the community or come to the right. community. 
because uh, they like the community. You know, obviously they both grew up around here. Greg had been to the U of M. Uh, Joe had been away to school, but they came back, right? Mm-hmm. And their families are here, and and uh, so they wanted to do something. And we got, the, you know, we'd like kind of like to set up a conference of some kind. They didn't really have a clear idea of what it would be yet. Yeah. And they said, and we're just wondering if there's any way you can help. And I said, if you bring anything you do to bring people to town, we will help, you know. Cool. And mm-hmm. so we maintained that connection, and they started doing stuff. We uh, we sponsored. We would give them sponsorships. Sure. Um, I mean, Greg will confirm this. It's not a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that we have sponsored things. In fact, we actually helped when he kicked off One Million Cups. Um, we supported them, bought the coffee for like three or four years sure. to get them on the, you know, help them with this, uh, knowing that this was going to pay off down the mm-hmm. end. So like, and, and I remember the, the economic development director at the time, uh, CEO, Jim Garten, before Joe Raso came to me a couple of years into this. He says, so they're going to do this thing called TEDx. And I said, I don't know what TEDx is. You know, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Who's Ted? Sounds like a gas station. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'm kidding. It's yeah. Like, but, did kind of. Anyway, he says, do you think you uh, you have any money to help? We're trying to raise money to help support it because, you know, and I said, well, how many people are going to come? He says, well, they're talking like maybe 100. And I think, I don't know. So, but I went and, and I I said no at first, but then I decided we had some money in the budget, so I gave him some money for TEDx, right? And the yeah. first year was like 100, a couple hundred people. Then it got to be like three or 400 people. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, it, like, Four or five years later, it's like 2,000 people. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, this paid off. Yeah. And so we'll keep doing that. And the same thing, they did this thing called Drone Focus for a while. Started with 80 people. It got up to 600, you know. I see now they're uh, they're doing um, their new um, Cultivate. Uh, They've been doing that for a while. This is associated with Grand Farm now. So. um, Yeah, it's the summer. So uh, we and our board understand that things like this lead to people coming to town. Mm-hmm. In fact, our board actually committed a capital grant to the Grand Farm, which you wouldn't normally think is a tourism kind of thing, but we recognize the fact that they're going to bring, this is where business travel comes into play. Right. Why can't we influence business travel by helping support that? So right. they're going to have people coming to town. So I appreciate what they do, and it's it's all one big system mm-hmm. you know ecosystem right. if you will uh to use a buzzword but yeah. uh that's we all kind of play off each other that's the same and the same thing applies of course to the fact that everyone now finally has figured out that people in in tourism promotion destination marketers yes we're promoting uh, for visitors right but we are promoting exactly the same mm-hmm. things that the economic development people in the Commerce Department are promoting right. to try to get people to move here. Right. And people don't move here without visiting first. Exactly. So that's... So... Mm-hmm. Uh, You're just thinking outside the box a little. Yes. Of other ways. Mm-hmm. Well, people come to it's, a concert. They come to a sporting right. event for their mm-hmm. child. And they're like, you know what? Yeah. This is a really cool community. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I kind of want to raise my kid, my yeah. family here. The same things you do while you visit are the things you're going to want to be able to do when you live here. Uh, in fact, you know... So we're, we've been involved in the workforce effort for like eight years mm-hmm. at least, you know, in and out. We've contributed money to it, and we're very happy to partner with that because we, uh, I think we know how to market yeah. that way. In fact, uh, the city of, I think the city of Cleveland actually gave the workforce uh, recruitment piece to the CBB and said, gave them the money to do it and said, do it. You guys know how to do this. You should just do this. Really? So, wow. 
So yeah, it's all part and parcel of what we do. You know. And how many are on your team now? Uh, Counting me, we have twelve full time. Okay. We have a convention sales department, which isn't huge. It's actually just two people right now because we don't really have any true convention space. I could go on and on about that, but we might get some. Okay. The mayor's proposing uh, going to propose it soon. Here, he mentioned the state of the cities. Uh, dome renovations potentially oh. will include a convention space okay. attached. That would be a game changer for us right. from the meeting side. Sports is our big driver because we have great sporting facilities. We have a four-person sports department because we saw that that was oh. where the growth was going to be for us until we got convention space, um, and it's paid off in yeah. a big way. And we keep getting more and more facilities. You know, uh, When I first started, we couldn't have the swimming events here much. Now we have the Hubbard Aquatic Center, world-class, right. 1,100 seats. USA Swimming is coming here for things. Um, uh, we have the 17 lighted softball fields up in North Fargo that the yeah. Park District runs. A uh, huge tournament attraction, attraction place. In fact, the um, USA Softball gave them their Complex of the Year Award this year, which is a pretty high honor uh, in, that, in those circles. Um, and now we've got the... the Southside Sports Complex coming, which is going oh, right. to open yeah. up Huge. basketball and yeah. volleyball indoor turf to us. We're going to have eight basketball volleyball courts, which we oh. don't have anywhere in town. Right. It's another place where we've lagged behind. Can't really do big basketball tournaments and volleyball tournaments. Yeah, yeah I remember. I could go on and on. Yeah, you know? no. It, and then we have our basic marketing department, which is which you know works toward the leisure tourists, manages our website, but they also work hand in hand with those other two departments all the time. So, so is that some of your challenges of? Uh, having this big wish list of what you wish we could have and yes. <laughs> kind of figuring out yeah. the funding of two big things. We, yeah. yeah. The two big things are convention space. And I've also been involved in efforts uh, to ultimately build a true performing arts center here. And mm. the, the idea is to um, put it where the civic auditorium is now. The oh. civic auditorium has, you know, basically outlived its, I mean, it's still being used, it's but it's used, not, yeah. not, really modern <laughs> right yeah yeah they could definitely update that um, <laughs> well i th- yeah, yeah no. <laughs> well the not I- updated hopefully yeah, we'll be able rebuild. to demolish it yeah. and build a true performing arts center there that would be a great thing for the community so those are my two big wish lists i think i think i i think the meeting space uh mm-hmm. we'll see happen here pretty soon at least the to get started on it and yeah. then uh performing arts center a year or two down the road yeah so what surprised you the most about being a CEO of a, a company. Of the CVB? Yeah. Good or bad, I guess. <laughs> there isn't much in the world that surprises me. Anymore, yeah. Actually. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so, um, but I think, um, well, uh, from a personal standpoint, I'm a little bit surprised at how much I love it. You know? Yeah. When I took the job, I mean, I knew it was going to be a new challenge and I, and I thought, I'm going to like this, and this is going to be fun. But I had no idea how much I would like it. So, yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah. Made a lot of new friends <clears throat> around. Uh, um, I had plenty of friends around the city, but now I have more. And uh, great new young staff members in a different field than I was used to working in. But um, they're terrific. Um, and then traveling, friends all over the country, all over the world, really, because we do some international marketing, too. Right. So, you know. So we just had someone here for, that wrote, writes for the New York Times 
wrote an awesome article. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. kind of a neat uh, thing. Danielle Braff. Braff. B R A F F. So all my relatives, of course. Yeah. yeah. So all my relatives sent me the article. Yeah. You well, know, you know what? that. You know, here's yeah. the thing. Can we talk about that just for a second? Yeah, we absolutely can. So that, you know, that article came out and uh, uh, state tourism was involved in it. You know, mm-hmm. but this is a a woman who actually came to the state and said they wanted, you know, in, to us. Yeah. She went to the state of North Dakota Tourism Division and said, but she wanted to focus on Fargo. So they sent her to us, right? They helped send her to us, uh, Danny, from our marketing account. We do this all the time. Yeah. Um, we use what people call, uh, you might even be one, actually, okay. influencers, right? Oh, sure. Yes, yeah. People okay. who, who... Yeah, and there are a lot of travel influencers, right? Travel yeah. writers, travel bloggers, all sorts of different names for them, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it's become a huge part of marketing for destinations like ours, sure. and and we have embraced it, and we have we budget for it, you know. Yeah, they don't come for free, right? Um, they come for varying different things. So there was there was this hue and cry that came out after this article came out, and people are like, "Well, they paid. That was bought and paid for." Blah 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 blah, and we're like. Uh, a reporter at the forum called me. He says, what was your involvement in this? I said, okay, here's the deal. They they went to the state, the state. This person came to us. Initially, sure. it was to be in Travel and Leisure magazine, but then the New York Times got wind of it and wanted it. So Very that cool. was even a surprise yeah. to the writer. Right. To some degree, anyway. Um, and so, the, so they asked for a little help. We didn't, uh, in some cases... We'll help facilitate for them. That's what we do. Sure. Sometimes we'll act, we will pay for their rooms. I'm not going to lie. That's mm-hmm. part of what we do. Yeah. You know, that's the way the world works yeah. now. Uh, and uh, um, I don't think we, I think very rarely would we ever, we don't really pay them a stipend, but we'll cover their expenses sure. because they're then here. they're going to yep. sell the article mm-hmm. or get advertising associated with it. But we'll do that. We're not afraid to do that. Yeah. And we'll, first of all, we'll ask our hotel partners to help us. And in this case, actually, a hotel stepped up yeah. and helped comp the rooms for this person. That's great. That's the way it should be, right? Yeah. If you're promoting right. the community and that hotel and the whole area that it's in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, you know, but beyond that, nobody, she and she asked our marketing department, Danny, uh, she had looked at the website, asked about some things, Help me make an itinerary. I've sure. got two yeah. days or whatever. And so we do that all It's a great itinerary. And that's what we did. We yeah. make connections where we introduce. Sometimes we'll pay for their meals, whatever, yeah. you know. But not, you know, not just genuine. I think it's still a genuine, yeah. authentic article. And it and, and it works both ways. We'll seek them out too, you sure. know. We'll we'll uh, sometimes our marketing team will identify someone that they think is they you know has a million or two million followers. Right. Like, well, they, you should come here. Yeah. And then they'll strike up a conversation. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it, it's the other way around, and they reach out yeah. to us. You know, And we do it in conjunction with the state. We do it individually. We do it in conjunction with Minnesota. Minnesota, tour, we, you know, we have a foot in two states, so we'll have Minnesota Tourism, North Dakota Tourism offering us stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll work together, which yeah. is great. Which is, yeah. Um, but that is so the world yeah. that we live in, and that's yeah. what marketing kind of looks like That's today. what marketing is, yes. Mm-hmm. And nobody told her what to write. Right, you know? yeah. So my aunt and uncle, they're, they're originally from here, but have lived out in North Carolina mm-hmm. and came back and basically went to every single thing on there. Well, that's You good. know, and yeah. I was like... And I bet they weren't disappointed. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. 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 So, There's so much good stuff happening here, you mm-hmm. know, that, um, that it's the same thing, like I said, I tell people uh, if they're going to bring a meeting here, you know, you will not be disappointed. There's so much we can help you do 
that you're going to enjoy this right. community while yeah. you're here. You're here such a short time, you're going to think it wasn't long enough. Right, yeah. You want to come back. Which is the way it should be when yep. you travel somewhere, It right? is, yeah. Mm -hmm. That you want more. Come yeah. back, yeah. So what would be one piece of advice that you'd give someone that is looking to make a, <laughs> a difference in their community? Oh. Well... I don't think there's one way to do that except to get involved. You know, you mm -hmm. have to find a find a thing that you like to do. Um, find maybe it's something you don't think is being done well. You know, sure. So yeah. go ask about it. Maybe yeah. I, see if you can help with that. Try to do it from a constructive standpoint. Don't go and saying that stinks. You should let me do that. But uh, you know, it might be a way. To, I'm sure some good things have happened that way. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if, if there's something that you're interested in or think you could be passionate about. And you have time on your hands, then go and do it. Absolutely, um, get to know your community. I think that's the most important thing okay. first. Uh, you and I both know that as much as we love the town and love to talk about it, you know, it's my job. It's kind of like your job too, right? So uh, there are lots of people who are like, "Oh, there's nothing to do here," you know, <laughs> "There's nothing to do here," and and. And uh, our, our biggest challenge is combating that, like in the frontline people, the, the outer-facing people in businesses, you know. You need to, because people ask you, people from out of town will come to you. If you're, yeah. if you're working at the gas station or if you're working at the hotel or if you're waiting on them at a bar and restaurant, they're going to ask you, hey, what's your favorite thing to do around here? What, right. What's there to do around here? Uh, we don't want you saying, oh, nothing to do here but drink, you know? No. That's not true. There are all no. sorts of things to do. In fact, we uh, we started a program called I Am Fargo, Fargo-Moorhead, a uh, frontline training program that we've passed off now to the Tourism Alliance of Fargo-Moorhead, which we're heavily involved with anyway. But uh, And basically, it's a training program for people. Uh, initially, we did it for thinking in terms of hotel uh, desk people, but also bars and restaurants, and we've had all sorts of people. Any can anyone <laughs> anyone who wants to sign up can do it. It's like a half a day program with a, a an hour or so of classroom about the different attractions, then a little bus tour around town oh, to go cool. places you might never go. Yeah, you know. So, um, I think it's important to be a tourist in your own city. Yes, like get out there mm -hmm. and just. Take it in as a new yeah. person, you know. Yeah. Like, what would I do? This is not a real good example because it's such a new venue. But we, you know, we had our meeting in the uh, the new Moorhead Armory event space oh, yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. And just beautiful. Beautifully redone. Um, you know, I I bet fifty percent at least of the hundred and thirty people we had there said this is the first time I've ever been in here. This is sure. really nice. Well, and that's you know that's. That's not like it's the zoo or the air museum right. or something like that. But we've had that same experience at other places. And like now they that. know that that exists. Now they know it exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you need to go to these places yeah. and see what's what's happening. Go try the new restaurant. Mm -hmm. Go try, mm -hmm. yeah, something different that you haven't mm -hmm. done before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Expand your horizons. Yes. Yeah, and <laughs> listen to me talk. You know, I'm pretty old and I, you know, set in my ways. I like my favorite places. But, yeah, I like to try new things once in a while. You we know. go listen to you sing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's true. Live music, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, tomorrow night, Sons in our way. Okay, yeah. Back in the troll the troll lounge is remodeled at the Sons You know, Sons and, and that is a cool place to be. Yeah, it's not, don't worry, they didn't wreck it. They just made yeah. the stage a little bigger. Okay. New flooring. The bar is better now. Um, it's the same bar, but they've. it's more efficient. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, the well, yeah, moving parts like, back at the troll like lounge. I'm Norwegian, so of course, you know, I've, I've like, yeah, I know. Yeah. 
Sorensen, I never would have guessed. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, that's maybe up for mm-hmm. debate on that part, yeah. but no. no. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a, a cool venue, though. It is. It's fun I've been there yeah. for the Ludafisk dinner. It okay, wasn't well, that bad. Fine. Yeah. Did they have meatballs, too? They did, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what. That's <laughs> uh, but anyway. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of places. Yeah. You know, we need, you, you can never have too much live music around town. That's um, true. Uh, and I'm happy that we get to do a little of it once in a while. You know, we're, yeah, we, we just do it for fun. We're incredibly mediocre, <laughs> <laughs> but actually on Saturday night, a first for us, we're going to play at Camp Lone Tree. Oh uh, yeah. I saw, I at, saw that. Too. Upstairs yeah. at 701. That'll yeah. be fun. Yeah. Um, Very fun. but yeah, Swing Barrel, we're going to play there in a, in a month. Um, so in um, your free time, you're doing this. Yeah. You're, yeah. It's passion. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fun. We have so fun. Yeah, that's we good. play songs we like and hope someone else does too. <laughs> yeah, it's usually the music people like to hear. Yeah, the songs that they they know. Yeah. yeah, the music community in this town is very vibrant and uh, a lot of people passionate about it. Um, you know, and it suffered. It suffered during the pandemic. Right. You know, but fortunately, it's coming back. Uh, I'm glad the uh, the Blarney Stone is back in the in the Hodo yep. in the Hotel yep. Donaldson downtown, mm-hmm. and I I know they built a stage. In fact, when I saw the uh, Jim Pullman, the guy who uh, the owner, I saw him when they were remodeling. I said, "You're putting a stage in there, aren't you?" He says, "Yes, yes, yes." I said, "Because that was a highlight, you know, for the Hodo to have music." Right. And yeah. and I hope you can continue that. He says, "No, we're gonna we're gonna try to have music in there once yeah. or twice a week." So. I just had him on the podcast not long ago. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Did he confirm that? Well, he didn't confirm music? anything about music, but. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I think, I yeah. Wait, maybe he said first act is Charlie Johnson. No, he didn't say that. Is that what he that. said? Maybe I, he did I'm say that. I'm pretty sure that's not true because he hasn't told me. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, yeah. well, Charlie, this has been such a pleasure, such an honor thank you. that you would be a guest. Yeah. And Thanks um, for asking me. Yeah. Um, thank you for yeah. doing this, sharing. Sorry if I get You're, too long-winded. No. Up, you know. It's been great. I can pretty much interview myself. (laughs) Well, I appreciate your time. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Wow, what a great episode. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always so inspiring sharing these stories. Remember to like and subscribe. I would love if you could leave me a five-star review. This helps us reach and engage with more people. Join me next week. And until then, make the most of your new day.